to your Bible, custom designed to your Bible reading plan and weekly podcast by myself, Chris Case, pastor of Resonate Church, and I'm here with Sarah Pasquale, our executive director. Hey there. So the wonderful world of Isaiah continuing of all the wonderful things he has to say about everybody everybody and Jerusalem itself. And so um, at this point, he's named a bunch of countries and it just feels like this week's reading was like, and yeah, it's just the whole else. earth. Yeah. Whoever I like, left out, we're, we're rolling them in here. <laughs> Even people that come to sing praises to God, God's going to be like, nah, I'm done with you guys. Um, and so God's going to do it. He's going to do what he said he's going to do, but he's going to reign from Jerusalem. He's still going to, he's still the king. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are these reminders that, that our sin pollutes. It pollutes the world. It pollutes our lives, but God is the one who purifies. And so this is what he is speaking to. And, um, some this sometimes this section is called uh, the little apocalypse, but we, and we see everyone kind of being punished equally for their sin. But we also, as believers, know that we have this hope where you know what we're going to move right into is that God is going to swallow up death forever. Yep, and so yeah, it almost feels like whiplash as you read Isaiah mm-hmm. sometimes, where it's like, yeah, well, praise be to God, and God's going to redeem, God's going to restore. Um, these things are happening. And so, um, and there's some great language, like God will do justice for the poor, the orphan, the refugee, uh, like what the nations have done in, in, in doing this, God's going to fix and restore justice and, um, it's going to set things right. Yeah. We see this really beautiful vision cast for what God's kingdom, what his design is and what it's going to look like. Even when we get the new heavens and the new earth, there's a very similar passage about this uh, wedding feast of the lamb that we read in Revelation. Um, But we see that human domination is overthrown and God will relieve human sorrow and he will abolish death. And that is why we get to say, surely this is the one we have waited for. It is everything we wanted and longed for and even more. And that is why we can lift up our eyes and trust and hope in God, even despite really difficult circumstances. Yeah. And continues with almost basically a song, a kind of breakout song. And, um, I feel like some of the lessons of all this judgment in this are, are part of verses nine and 10. And, and Isaiah says this for when your judgments are on the earth, um, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If a favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. It's almost as if Isaiah is saying like, look, this is how we know that God is right and true and just. It's like he does deal with injustice and unrighteousness. Like how are we possibly to know what righteousness and unrighteousness is if God doesn't intervene in these moments? And so it's almost like now we can see what, what truth and righteousness looks like. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point and that going along with this idea of seeing God's judgment um, is we see the word wait come up a lot in these chapters and it makes us think or it makes me think of this, you know, back to Exodus 34 where God is describing himself or even what we just read in Nahum a couple of weeks ago about how God is patient with sin. He is patient with our brokenness. He gives us opportunities to repent, but he will hold the guilty accountable for their sin. And that is because God wants to show us what purity looks like. Yep. Uh, and we get this picture of the vineyard again in Isaiah, which I think it's in all kind of four sections we broke down that God's going to have to do some pruning, but it, it will produce this great vineyard. The vineyard will be restored. There'll be fruit even for all the nations and the vine's going to be right and good. And the pruning even gets identified in a little bit of the section. Like they're going to need to break all their idol worship and they're going to have to break away. Um, and if you were thrown off by the Leviathan being introduced into the story, um, that has some tie into the Canaanite religion. It's definitely the enemy of the creator. And, and, and so was it, I think by this time was a little bit more ubiquitous, ubiquitously used amongst other groups. And so um, I think in Isaiah's head, it's like symbolically this enemy of God. And so there's, 
no surprise that he might be using it in the same way. I mean, Satan's already been connected to a serpent. So um, to use Leviathan, which is like this multi-headed serpent, it's not, not a far cry for the Israelites to adopt. Yeah, this section pictures God's people as this worldwide Garden of Eden, sort of. And it's interesting that, you know, just a few chapters before, we kind of almost read about this scorched earth idea. And I think we come into this idea of a new creation, God making and setting apart a new people for himself that that begins and ends with Christ's life, death, and resurrection. So although there's future hope, there's still judgment coming in the near future. And the indulgent, the drunks, those who think they have nothing to worry about, who've solved all their own lessons, like God needs to get the lesson across to them. And um, that he's going to have to speak to them as plainly, almost like a child, as plainly as he can. Yeah. He's going to preserve his true people, but a lot of people are going to suffer. But once again, there's still hope. There's going to be this cornerstone laid in Zion. This this whoever believes it uh, will not be in haste, and um, he will make justice the line, righteousness the plumb line. So the measure of of what is true is righteousness, justice. And so, um, Israel, you thought you could, you had nothing to worry about, but it's going to be dash all the sort of like protecting yourself. It's not going to work. Like that's not the setup here. You need to trust in the Lord, and you need to practice righteousness and justice. Yeah, I mean, I think something Isaiah continues to reiterate, and I mean, basically the whole Bible, is that like, man, humankind, individuals are fallen. They can't do a good enough job. They can't do what we need. But when we see this idea of a cornerstone in Zion with justice and righteousness, we get to remember that this has been filled, fulfilled. This promise and this prophecy has been fulfilled through Christ. Yep. So we do have access to this coming kingdom because of Christ. In Jerusalem going to be dealt with, but nations will get dealt with harder, but Jerusalem, there's still something coming to you. And, um, and, and it's almost, uh, I even like some of the imagery here. It's like, Israel, you just don't understand what's coming. And you're like, you're acting like you've been given this message in a scroll form and you're saying, I don't know how to open it or I don't, I can't read it. It's like, here's the message. Like, and, and you're missing it. Like you're giving lip service that Yahweh is your God, but then you turn around and totally act like you're really the one who's in control and the ones in charge. Like that's not okay. Yeah, we see a challenge to the prideful here, and we see a blessing and an honoring of the humble. The clay cannot challenge the potter, but the meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. We have to keep stepping back and remembering that we don't know the whole story, you and me. We've got to trust God and see Him show and offer wonder upon wonder, and we've got to pray and ask the Lord for eyes to see that we wouldn't be spiritually blind, but we would have our eyes open and understand God and trust Him and submit to His ways. And one of multiple messages about Israel not going down to Egypt yeah. and getting help from the Egyptians. Uh, I even love how Andrew Peterson translated one of the verses saying, anyone stupid enough to trust them will end up looking stupid. And so, um, yeah, there's definitely some a major problem in God's eyes with Israel seeking out Egypt for help as opposed to calling out to him. Yeah. And you know, this could be a little bit too much of a stretch, but I think we all kind of have our own Egypts in our lives, our fallbacks that we trust in instead Mm -hmm. of God in hard times or times of struggle. Um, But again, it's a reminder, like you have the sovereign God of the universe who knows all things and holds all things together to trust in, or you have this one fallback that failed you before. Yeah. So they're rebellious people and they would, they don't want, they only want prophets that say nice things about them, encouraging things. Um, but they live lives of injustice and God's going to respond. It's like they've been mm-hmm. creating this wall. The sort of image there is they've been creating this wall of lies and injustice. And this wall is about to come kind of crashing down on them and destroy them. And so um, God reminds them, stop trying to save yourselves and just trust me. Yeah. God is offering help to them and they're rejecting it. Yep. So 
Isaiah's call or God's call through Isaiah here is like, so cry out to God. Like he's ready for mm-hmm. repentance. Like uh, the line is, he will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. So as soon as he hears it, he answers you. It's like, he's just waiting for repentance in this moment. That's sort of the, the picture that's being presented here. And um, God will answer. And, and, and um, there'll be those um, who will celebrate and there'll be enemies like Assyria who'll be driven out. And so, but, but the appeal, the appeal here from Isaiah is like, come return to the Lord, call out to him. Yeah. And adversity and affliction is what is going to cause them to turn back to God. And once again, don't get help from the Egyptians. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that, that God is a, a word picture around God being like this lion in Zion, almost like God is hovering over Jerusalem and none of the other nations will want to attack anymore because of the ferociousness of this lion. And it's a pretty cool image, I think. Yeah. And then uh, a king will reign um, in righteousness or sort of this moment of hope that um, almost like a garden type life, like it'll be a return to that sort of shalomness of the garden. Um, and it's not for the hasty or the foolish or the ungodly, the oppressor, the scoundrel, but there'll be a rest- restoration of the king, which ultimately certainly we will see in Jesus. Yeah, for me, as I was reading through this, I kind of like try to find some bright spots in Isaiah because it does seem repetitive. It does seem pretty cyclical. But then you read these things that are just uh, that lift your eyes heavenward or stir my affections. You know, Jesus, our Messiah, is what we see as one who is righteous and just. He's a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, streams of water in a dry place, in the shade of a great rock in a weary land. What a gift that is to us. And then there are those who are sort of unconcerned or content with the affairs of God. Like <clears throat> they're just uh, on their own, trusting in themselves kind of pay no mind to the things of God. And Isaiah's were warning them like, that's not okay. Repent, call out. God will restore you. There's hope, but <laughs> you, you, you need to, you need to turn. You need to, to, to change. Yeah. So we say, you know, if you're content and you're complacent right now, don't feel so great about the future, but those who trust in the Lord are the ones who are going to find righteousness and quietness and trust and security. So once again, God reminds the Israelites, look, I'm going to deal with Babylon eventually. So it's as if he has to say it over and over and over. Like Babylon's going to be awful. Babylon's going to take you into captivity. He's going to, Babylon's going to ultimately uh, take the Southern kingdom, but it's going to come to an end. And Isaiah's mm-hmm. prayer is almost like, God, I, you, I know you're going to be gracious in the midst of all this judgment. I, I, I pray that you're still going to be gracious to us. Um, and God's going to lay waste, but God's going to exalt himself in it. It's like he's going to flex his muscles. And um, and then Isaiah even includes like, what what's going to be on the other side of judgment? Like those who those who make it through and it's, it's he who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, despises the gain of oppression, so shakes, um, who shakes his hands lest they hold a, a bribe and um, who stops his ears from hearing bloodshed, shuts his eyes from looking on evil. Like so those who... Uh, turn from all the wickedness and seek the Lord. And and there's definitely a picture of like, this is a description of Jesus. Like no mm-hmm. one does this perfectly, uh, but it is the call on God's people to, to leave behind the, the broken sinful patterns and, and seek the Lord and, and, and to put up, um, he, he, the one who dwells in the heights, which really is the one who ultimately dwells in sort of the, the presence of the Lord. Yeah. I think it's a good picture of what it means to live in the already and the not yet, like we talk about. Everything looks like disaster is coming, but we are supposed to trust God in this, and we are to wait on Him. All we can do is trust that God is good, even when it may seem for the moment that He is not. 
we know he is. So let's jump to finishing up the book of Acts today. And so uh, Paul's uh, with Agrippa, who um, would understand both Roman and Jewish customs as sort of his role. And so um, Paul reminds him, uh, kind of gives him his testimony. It's like, look, you knew my zeal. Um, I was part of the more conservative, strict camp of the Pharisees. and But this Jesus, like he's the one that seems to like, this is what the, one, the prophets have been pointing towards like he's what we've actually been hoping for and there was a resurrection like he's starting to lay out his case around jesus yeah i love how paul no matter what is just shares his testimony and shares the gospel with whoever he can get to and this time it's agrippa yeah and paul tells the conversion story and as i said like paul starts bringing in like different lines and different details now it could be like luke's just including more this next time around but it um i think there's more behind the story than what's going on like he describes light the the light in the story very differently and a little more intensely he adds the whole line like it's hard for you to kick against the goads which is a totally odd line for most of us to read um god has instructions for paul to stand to his feet paul adds a conversation around god sort of rescuing him sending him to his own people and that they will be stubborn all this kind of stuff and so um i think there's more going on like the idea of kicking against the goads um historically that line uh, the, the prophet who kicked against the goads was jonah and so um paul might be thinking of himself here like he was the stubborn prophet who did not understand his call and not only that but like he's the prophet who was in darkness for three days and one was eaten by fish and the other one had like fish scales and the fish scales had to fall from his eyes and like maybe paul come to this realization of like look I was stubborn to what God was actually doing and calling me to. Cause then Paul uses this language from almost Ezekiel where he talks about surrounded by a brilliant light and people to being face down. And then there was a voice that told me to stand to my feet and I will speak to you. And then what does God say to Ezekiel in that next moment? Son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites this rebellious nation rebelled against me. And they're going to, they're not going to listen to you. They're going to be obstinate and stubborn. Like that is Paul's testimony. And that's what Paul highlights mm-hmm. going like, look, like, Maybe Paul's saying, like, look, what God's calling me to, yes, like the, there was a there was a movement between Paul's previous life and his life following Jesus. But there's also seems to be like Paul looking back on this moment, going, and this is God calling me to be a prophet. And I, where I was stubborn and not listening, God had to bring me out. And like Ezekiel, like this is what I've called to do. And I've been called to my countrymen who are not going to listen to me. And I've been called to the Gentiles. And um, he, he's sort of looking back at this moment uh, to, to do all this sort of like, and uh, Agrippa, this is what, uh, this is my calling from God. And this is what I have to go proclaim. And my message is different than Ezekiel's, but it, it is that, that the Christ may suffer. And that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to the people and to the Gentiles. And so, He's sort of just standing here in front of Agrippa going, this is all part of the old story. And what has happened to me is a calling of prophet, just like back then. And this is the message. It is about Jesus. And so, yeah, it's, it's fascinating because I think there's, there's, there's under layers of the story as Paul tells it. Yeah. And I think we see Paul's behavior and even in sharing is that his sole focus is obedience and faithfulness to Christ. He's not trying to get himself out of the situation. Nope. He just wants to be faithful. Yeah. And I even love that Agrippa's like, are you going to try to make me a Christian too? And Paul's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And I to want which everyone a, to be a Christian. <laughs> to which a group is like, well, let's send him off off to Rome. And yeah. so, uh, so Paul is sent off to Rome, uh, and he's already been told this in Acts twenty three. Like, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts to me in Jerusalem, so you will most you must testify also in Rome. So, I mean, Jesus, it's straight up kind of 
prophesied to him that this is going to happen. Um, and Luke shows us these numerous obstacles, like that God's going to keep his promise to Paul, but like he's, he's going to have all these sort of, um, struggles to get to Rome where he will eventually die. And so if Luke is telling some parallels between Jesus, maybe this is sort of like, look, Jesus was, Jesus had to suffer on his way to the cross. And like, as part of um, his, his lead to his death. And as Christians, we will suffer too. And maybe those are not crown of thorns, but a shipwreck instead. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's not a flogging, but it's um, other forms of persecution or rejection instead. Like there's other ways that, that, that we may have to suffer, but God is still true and still um, sovereign over those things as well. Yeah. I think that's the key piece is the sovereign hand of God. feels like this epic battle between good and evil or like God and <laughs> Satan and Satan's trying to wipe Paul out and it just isn't working. Nope, certainly not working, even with a venomous snake. Yeah. And so the storms get bad uh, and, and Paul, Paul kind of pulls the ultimate, I, I told you so in that story, <laughs> which is great. But um, there's Christ-like moments for Paul here too, where he's breaking the bread and distributing it. It feels almost like a little bit like the Last Supper, but also like the feeding of 5,000 and, um, yeah. And, and so Paul, even it almost feels like Paul's like, cause they're all trying to scheme, like how they're going to survive this. And Paul's, Paul's almost like what we saw in Isaiah, like, look, you, you can't just scheme your way out of this. Like you have to trust in God. Yeah. So the boat wrecks on the coast of Malta and yeah. everyone survives just like Paul said. Yeah. And luckily there's this great centurion that, that doesn't want all the prisoners killed. And Paul's on Malta. He gets bit by this sort of snake. I almost feel like Luke is like, reflecting on this almost laughing like remember when all those people thought you were a murderer and then you got bit by the snake and then they thought you suddenly were a god instead it's like all these stories are happening so quick and sort of how luke's telling the story but the 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 islanders certainly react to paul as if um there's some super something supernatural about him and so they want to paul to heal diseases and stuff like that and he does paul still has this power that god has given him in some ways to these miraculous signs for these people that have probably not heard a word about jesus up to this moment yeah i mean paul has this vision to go to rome or to go to spain really um and his journey there is turning out to take years but everywhere he goes he's getting to proclaim the gospel of jesus christ and so you have this circumstance of this shipwreck that maybe the enemy was trying to use to totally destroy paul has ended up leading to paul getting to share the gospel for three months with all these people on the island of malta yep and so um Paul makes a few stops on the way, runs into a few other Christians. It's very encouraged mm -hmm. by that, but um, he, he eventually gets uh, gets to Rome and he's under house arrest there. So um, we shouldn't have in our heads that Paul's in sort of like this nasty dungeon in the, the underground of Rome, but at least at first he's under house arrest and he gets a chance to meet with Jewish leaders who are in Rome. Like you got to remember, Paul is the student of one of the most well-known um, rabbis uh, around that time. And so um, he can get an audience with a lot of different people. And so uh, he gets an audience with the, the Jews that are in Rome um, and they haven't gotten letters. They don't really know when all the drama is in Jerusalem. And so um, Paul has a chance to, to talk about Jesus with them in a pretty sort of clean way. There's not a lot of mobs or anything yet. And some believe in Jesus and some don't. And Paul reminds them just what Isaiah said, like, look, you're going to speak to them and there's going to be plenty who don't get it. And, and Paul reminding that his, his mission and those that are being grafted in now are the Gentiles. Yeah. I've, you know, Paul, I think has been consistent since we first, since we first saw him in, um, on his first missionary journey of just being faithful to show up where he is and speak what he can to whoever shows up in his life. And it seems to be a little more 
less dramatic or exciting in these last couple of years under house arrest, but it's also when we get a lot of his letters to a lot of the different churches. Yep. So he's there for a couple more years. Um, he will write a few more letters. Obviously we will read through the last few letters and sort of the pastoral letters that he has too. Um, and then, uh, yeah. Yeah. The, and the book of Acts seems to end pretty abruptly, but I really like that. It's very much of a to-be-continued book. So if if the purpose of it is to talk about the birth and growth of the church, right. then we are that continuation of it. Yeah. So final thoughts, or was that part of the No, yeah. I mean, I think just the other <laughs> final thought to me is that everyone who's saved has a different story and a different testimony. We read so many different stories. You have like the guy who fell out of the window and was raised from the dead, and you have the Ethiopian eunuch who had a guy just disappear on him. You have Lydia and the Philippian jailer and the former slave girl planting a church in Philippi together. Every single one of us who are in Christ has a testimony, and we know to us personally what it means to be rescued by God, and it will be different than others. So just pause for a moment and appreciate and celebrate God's salvation, and that we also know that churches were planted and continue to grow because of just a few people. And so what we are doing faithfully in the places where God has placed us uh, could have long-term impacts, which is encouraging. Yeah, and, and reflecting this this point in my life or this season right now, like the, the sort of, uh, almost multicultural, transcultural, whatever the right phrase would be nature of the gospel. Like you start this letter with a very Jewish crowd and a very Jewish gospel in some ways of, of who's, who's following, who's in, who's out. Um, not only that, but you're using phrases that are much more Jewish oriented, but by the end you're using, so instead of like rabbi disciple, you're using almost like a parent teacher metaphor as the gospel goes forth in the mm-hmm. Greek and Roman worlds. And, um, and, and not only that, but like the, the movement of the power of the Holy spirit and how it breaks forth into all these different groups. Mm-hmm. Like the, for, for Luke, as he, as he's retelling this, like the gospel moves outside of a cultural norm to, to start impacting all these different kinds of people. And um, from, from the bottom of society to the top of society, from Greek and Romish people to, to Jews, to Ethiopians. And, and so I think the, the revolutionary, like we take it for granted that Christianity is a global religion um, and, mm. and, and, can have so many different cultural expressions, but that was so not the norm for any sort of religious conviction at the time. And so religious leader or like certain gods were very like tribalist. Like if you were in the city or if you had this sort of like guild or whatever you were part of, like you had a specific God related to that as opposed to a God overall. And so like to watch acts sort of become a, but through historical narrative, convey the theology that we have a God who transcends each of our individual cultures um, and can be expressed in our individual cultures. Like it's such a beautiful picture for us to understand. So like people listening to this podcast, like if you're in a rural city, like there's a way that God can be over your culture, but also work through your culture. And if you're um, Asian or black or a city dweller or middle upper class or lower class, like, there's a way that, that God exists above that, but also like God will use you and in your culture to reach your culture, to influence your culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's the beauty of, of the good news of, of, of Jesus. Yeah. So Psalms, we got three of them this week or one partial one and two full ones. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 
Psalm 119, I just, it's, I don't, it's really long, but it's, so you know, in, I would say, I want to say my favorite Psalm, but probably in my top five of favorite Psalms, um, <laughs> that there's always richness to be found in it. And so I just think this section is, you know, you're really like pleading with God to deliver you from yourself and also pleading with God to plant his word in your heart so that you can be more like him. Yeah. It feels like sort of the, the spectrum of personal struggles. Like, God, I've been faithful and I'm so weary. I need your help. And then it's like, I haven't actually been that faithful. Like I've had my eyes on things in the world and I just wanted to turn and look at you and your commandments. And so like, this is so like day to day for many of us. It's like, like there's some moments where you're like, you know what? Like I have been walking. Okay. But then you reflect on it a little bit and it's like, Oh, I'm still, there's still ways that I'm distracted. And so, um, that's the beauty of the Psalms. It becomes like our stories and some of the ways we need to pray. Yeah. And Psalm 108. Um, I like the structure, the order of the psalm. You start with personal reflection on your own inner state of worship, and you move outwardly towards others, and then you end with celebrating God's triumph over all things. Yeah, this uh, this psalm uh, is accused of a little bit of plagiarism. There's a lot of lines that are taken from other psalms, but uh, at the same time, uh, there's just like, yeah, there's assurance that, that God's going to answer, and there's just, there's salvation on their side. Like, there's a call for God to deliver, and there's just absolute um, assurance that, that God's going to be there. It's like um, almost like a pep talk uh, psalm in some ways. And then Psalm 61. Yeah, I think it's kind of neat sometimes how God works with this. I had been praying through Psalm 61 quite a bit, and then it showed up in the reading, which was kind of neat. But I just think it's a it's a crying out when everything feels like it's pointing the opposite direction of where you want to be. We can look to God and say, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I can't see it all, but you see the full picture and the full story. Yeah, there's definitely a few Psalms that are sort of in this category of like, God, help. I need your help. I, don't, I know you can do it. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you can. And sort of that trust in that moment. Yeah. So next week, what are we looking for? So we're going to study the first part of Hezekiah's life next week. And he is a faithful king who's faithful to God. So what do you think God is illustrating in this history of Judah uh, through placing a faithful king at this time when we're reading so much prophecy about coming judgment? And then you're going to start Ephesians in the New Testament. It's I think there's a big emphasis on our role in the church and, and how we declare the gospel as believers. So ask yourself what it means for your own living and your own faith. Um, an expression of that as you read Ephesians. Yeah. I, um, we're going to encounter the Israelites celebrating for Passover, which uh, for uh, many, it's like, well, when was the last time they celebrated Passover? So th- try to think back to when the last time was like, what was the timing of that one? Like, what did it signify in that moment? Like uh, that? Yes, there was a Passover certainly of the Exodus, but like they celebrated again. And so like, what did that signify? What that might signify for Israel at this moment um, and whether they live actually into that or not. And then New Testament. Yeah, we start in Ephesians and Paul's dealing with a church that is struggling once again with divisions between Jews and Gentiles. But note how Paul, Paul, Paul probably dresses that division more here than he does in many other letters. Um, and so like, how does Paul speak to that division and what Christ has accomplished? And, and even think, like, how does that play out today? when it comes to unity issues in the church um, and, and how would Paul maybe say the same things to us. So that's it uh, for this week. Thanks y'all. Thank you.